Please turn in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in the New Testament. For the record, I have a jacket on. I'm taking it off. So I started with a jacket. I'm not just wearing a t-shirt to church. But I'm taking it off. Because I always get hot up here. It's always too hot for me. John 17. John 17, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to me, and they have kept Your word. Now they know that everything that You have given me is from You. For I have given them the words that You gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from You. And they have believed that You sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given me. For they are Yours. All mine are Yours, and Yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Father, thank You that we can pray the prayer of Jesus. Lord, that we can listen in on what communion between the persons of the Godhead looks like. That we can hear our sweet Jesus praying to the Father. Lord, we ask that You'd be with us as we meditate upon this prayer that we would learn more of Your love for us as we see, Jesus, how You pray for us. How You and, and You, Father, you, you love us, that we belong to You. Lord, we pray that we would love Your glory like You do. That we would be moved to love those whom You've given the Son like You do. And Lord, knowing how much You love us, knowing that You are still praying for us, knowing uh, uh, Your glory, that we would be moved to pray for one another and for Your glory to be shown to the world. And so help us, God, be with us. Teach us now by Your Spirit. For Jesus' sake, Amen. John Knox was a Scottish minister, reformed, theologian and writer who was a leader of Scotland's Reformation. He was the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland and Burke Parsons writes about him. Perhaps more than anything else, John Knox is known for his prayer, Give me Scotland or I die. 
And in that prayer, he's, he's, this is good prayer for us. Give us all me or we die. You, you parents, give me the souls of my children or I die. It's a prayer, a blood earnest prayer for people to be saved and to give glory to God. Knox's prayer was not an arrogant demand, but the passionate plea of a man willing to die for the sake of the pure preaching of the gospel and the salvation of his countrymen. During the time of the 16th century Scottish Reformation, Knox's ministry of preaching and prayer were so well known that the Roman Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. And John 17 was particularly precious to John Knox. Sherman Isbell writes, As a young man, his anchor of faith was first cast on John chapter 17 where he saw that the counsel of God is stable and His love immutable towards His elect, received by Him in protection and safeguard. Reflecting on Christ's words, Thou hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Beloved, think about those words. Jesus prays to His Father, Father, You have loved them. You have loved Alney Baptist Church as you have loved me. Beloved, think about that. God the Father, if you're in Christ, God the Father loves you with as much passion and delight and desire as He loves His Son. John Knox said about those words, Oh, that our hearts could without contradiction embrace these words, for then with humility should we prostrate ourselves before our God and with genuine and sincere tears give thanks for His mercy. So straight and near is the conjunction and union between Christ Jesus and His members that they must be one and never can be separated. John 17 was precious to John Knox, in his coming to faith in Christ, it's where he first cast his anchor. It's where God opened up his eyes to see the beauty and glory of Christ and where he trusted Christ. And John 17 was there for John Knox when he died. Stephen Nichols writes, back in August of 1572, John Knox had just returned to his beloved Edinburgh, but that fall he became ill. He was struck with pneumonia and he was bedridden. As the weeks of November passed, his condition worsened, and on November 24, 1572, he was surrounded by his wife, Margaret, and by Rich Bennetine, his longtime friend. They were reading Scripture to Knox, and at one point, he looked at Margaret and said, Go, go, go where I cast my first anchor. She immediately knew what he was talking about, and she turned to her Bible, to John 17. She began reading from that text. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. As Margaret continued to read that chapter and she finished, John Knox turned to her and said, What a comfort that chapter is. Well, that first anchor served John Knox in life and in death. And so God willing, 
We're going to focus on prayer today to encourage you to pursue God in prayer in 2024 like you never have before. And to do so, we're going to begin studying the Lord Jesus' high priestly prayer to His Father in John 17. And John 17 works well for us because the the, the preaching schedule plan is prayer today, unity in Christ next week, and missions the first week in December. And guess what? We have an emphasis of all that in John chapter 17. And so prayer today, and really prayer for the next three weeks, but in this prayer we see a prayer for unity that God's people would be one even as Christ and the Father are one. And then we see an emphasis on mission because Jesus uh, in the prayer talks about uh, sending His disciples out just as the Father sent Him out. And so we're to tell the world about Jesus. And so we're going to be in John 17 for the next three weeks, God willing. We see Jesus deeply loves His own glory in this prayer. We see that He deeply loves His Father's glory in this prayer, and He deeply loves those whom the Father has given Him His elect. And so He prays. He prays this prayer, by the way, right before His arrest and final, finally crucified. This prayer comes right before Jesus is arrested and ultimately will be crucified. And He prays this prayer because He loves. He loves. John 15, 9-13. You might want to turn a few chapters over in your Bibles to John 15, 19-13. I'm tempted to ask someone to read it so that we'll be more active in the sermon, sermonology. But I'll read it for you, but I hope that you'll read it with me. John 15, 9-13. As the Father has loved me... Beloved, if, if you think listening to a sermon is a passive act, you don't know what we're doing here. You don't understand. I hope you'll get it. It's one of the most active, mind-engaging, heart-engaging things you can do. John 15, 9-13. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what Jesus is going to do to lay His life down for His friends, His elect, those whom the Father has given Him. And He prays. He prays. Beloved, the the point I'm trying to get across in this sermon is that since Jesus loves you so much and prays for you, you should want to be like Jesus and deeply love His glory, deeply love His Father's glory, and deeply love God's elect. So pray. Point number one, Jesus prays. Look again at John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said... 
What, 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 what words had he spoken? What words had he spoken? Let's go back and see the words that he had finished speaking right before he prays. And those are at the end of John 16. So again, if you just look over one chapter, you'll see John 16, 25 through 33. John 16, 25 through 33. Jesus had spoken these words. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, so Jesus get, gives these amazing words that, 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 that I'm not alone. I'm, the Father is with me. He, he's, he's reminding the disciples of this deep and lasting and unchanging community He has with the Father. And, and, and He says these words that they might have peace. And He, he, he tells them in the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have pain, suffering, tribulation, loss, death. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he prays. He lifts up his eyes to heaven. And he prays. Jesus prays. And, and the text tells us he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And j just a quick little point on that. There are different postures of prayer. How many of you when you pray, pray like this and lift up your eyes to heaven? A lot of people, I, I don't notice a lot of people doing that. Jesus did that. That, that is a way to pray. That's okay. It's okay to pray that way. Children, this might be a shock to you, but you don't actually have to close your eyes when you pray. You don't actually have to bow your hands and close your eyes and bow your head to pray. You don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that. Now, now having said that, uh, many parents and teachers teach the children to pray that way because we're so distracted. So it's helpful. It's a helpful wisdom issue to bow your head and close your eyes because if you keep them open, you're distracted about what's going on and who's doing what and what are they doing. So it's, it's a wise practice, but, but um, it, it's not a, a, a biblical command. There, there are many postures and ways to pray. Looking up to heaven is a way to pray. Kneeling down, getting on your knees is a way to pray. Some churches actually have little things in the pews where they uh, genuflect. I don't know what that means, but it's called bowing. These big words. Bowing down, getting on your knees. Translate it for a North Carolinian guy. You bow and pray. Some people get all the way down on their face and prostrate. Some of you may have been driven to pray like that because of the circumstances in your life. I've been driven to that before. That's a way to pray. 
eyes open, eyes closed. The Bible talks about hands lifted up in prayer. You can pray sitting down in the pew. You can pray while you're driving your car. One of my favorite ways to pray is, is, is pacing back and forth. Not only is it a good workout, it, uh, it keeps me awake. Because sometimes if I get on my knees, I fall asleep. And Satan loves that. So get up, pace, and pray. Go for a prayer walk and pray for your neighbors. Pray for your neighborhood. You can pray walking. Uh, you can pray while you're doing the dishes. Help me, Lord. Many ways to pray. Many postures to pray. Jesus here lifts up His eyes to heaven and prays. And He said, Father, Jesus prays. Just notice that fact. It's always good to pray. And Jesus prays to His Father. He addresses Father. Just like Jesus taught us in the disciples' prayer, our Father who art in heaven, Jesus prays to His Father. Beloved, this is the biblical normal way to pray. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That, that is the biblical norm of how we address God. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Yes, you can pray to Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Thank you, Brandon. Yesu Akbar, Jesus is the greatest. You can pray to Jesus. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come now and help us get this. <laughs> Jesus, may you be exalted in this sermon. Father, help us. You can pray to all three persons of the Trinity because all three persons are God. But the biblical norm of prayer, as Jesus taught us in the disciples' prayer and this prayer, is to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Jesus, notice, has a deep communion with His Father in prayer. Jesus, we see this in this prayer, Jesus loved spending time with His Father in prayer. The Bible speaks of how He would get up way before dawn to, to commune and be with His Father. He, he delighted to be with His Father and to commune and pray with His Father. And, and one of the things we want this sermon to do is just to encourage us, Lord, Lord, help me taste of that delight in prayer. Help me taste of that kind of ecstasy, otherworldly communion with God in prayer. Even like good reformed people like Jonathan Edwards were, were so overwhelmed and overcome with the love of God that we, he was in a trance-like state for hours. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Jesus, show me your beauty. I, I want to experience... Some of y'all, he's getting too charismatic. When the Reformed, sovereignty, Bible-believing Jonathan Edwards preached the gospel and revival happened, people did some crazy stuff. And we're scared of that. There's excesses, yes. But there's, there's knowing the love of God in such a way that, that you do respond in an experiential way and are overcome and overwhelmed with the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's real. That's real. 
And we should want to know God that way. And, and be so excited about being in prayer with Him. That, that we, we, we pursue time with Him. So that we don't fall asleep in prayer. <laughs> because we so enjoy Him in His presence. God, give me that. Give us that. Jesus loved spending time with His Father in prayer. And, and Jesus' intimacy with His Father points us to the fact that Jesus is God. <laughs> John 5.18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. The, the Jews understood Jesus addressing the Father this way, Father, as making Himself equal with God. John MacArthur comments on this. This chapter has been called the Holy of Holies of Scripture. It is the most elevated, the most glory-filled chapter in the Bible. It is, of course, the prayer above all prayers, but it is also the chapter above all chapters. Because it alone is where we see the communion between the Son of God and the Father. Beloved, there is a kind of communion that you can have with God that will surpass any joy, any experience, any ecstasy of this world. I wonder if you believe that. Jesus knew it. That's why He prayed in Gethsemane, if there's any other way, Father, take this cup away. Because He did not want to lose this. And yet He said, not my will, your will be done. And He was cut off from this, that we might be saved and never be cut off from the Father. Jesus has deep communion with His Father in prayer. We should pray that God would give us that deep communion. Uh, also, um, we can ask the question, what do we learn about God the Father and God the Son in this prayer? This is all just sort of introduction to this whole chapter. What do we learn about God the Father and God the Son in this prayer? Andreas Kostenberger is very helpful. We learn what the Father gave the Son. We learn what the Father gave the Son. He gave the Son authority to give eternal life. He gave Him a people out of this world. He gave Him work to accomplish. He gave Him His words. He gave Him His name. And He gave Him His glory. And we learn what the Son gives believers. He gives to us eternal life. He gives us the Father's Word. He manifests the Father's name to us. He, 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 he gives us the gift of reflecting God's glory that we can actually glorify God with our lives and our words and our feelings and our actions. What do we learn about Jesus' followers in this prayer? We learn that they are sent into the world to make disciples. That will be missions on December, uh, the first Sunday in December. They are in the world, but they're not of the world. We learn that the world hated them we learn about their unity with each other. Next Sunday, we'll think more about that. And their, the, the unity with each other and union with God that will cause the world to believe the Father sent the Son. And what does Jesus ask for in this prayer? Glorify the Son. Glorify the Father. 
Keep believers in the Father's name. Keep believers from the evil one. Sanctify believers in the truth. And make believers one, even as Jesus and the Father are one. Beloved, since Jesus prays, we ought to pray. May God work in us so that more and more, like Jesus, we delight to pray. It's our joy. Since Jesus loves you so much and prays for you and He's still praying for you, you should want to be like Jesus and deeply love His glory and deeply love the Father's glory and deeply love God's elect. So pray. Point number two, Jesus prays for glory. Jesus prays for glory. What does it mean to be glorified. Jesus prays that the Son would be glorified, that the Father would be glorified. What does it mean to be glorified? What is glory? John Piper defines glory this way, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's many perfections. It's God's infinite beauty and greatness and value and worth. When you glorify something, you demonstrate or show how beautiful, how great, how valuable, how worthy it is. You glorify what you love and what has value to you. God's glory and the glory of the Son, Jesus, is what God values most, more than anything else. And Jesus prays for His Father to glorify Him. It's sort of like, Father, make much of me. Show the world how great I am. That's what he's praying. Show the world my infinite beauty. Show the world my infinite greatness. Show the world my my infinite satisfaction that's to be had in me. He's better than anything else. He deserves that glory. He deserves to be glorified that way. And he prays, Father, glorify me. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. And verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beloved, notice Jesus prays for Himself. Some people have been wrongly taught that it's wrong and selfish to pray for yourself. No, you should pray for yourself. You need it. I need it. We need help. It's, It's humble to realize that I need God's help. And so, I I need more help than anybody else. I I need God's help. Pray for yourself. Lord, help me listen today. Help me learn. Help Help me commune with You. Lord, teach me to delight in You. Pray for yourself. Jesus prays for Himself. It's not bad to pray for yourself. And Jesus is praying that His Father would demonstrate, show His infinite beauty and greatness and infinite value and worth. How? How would God do this in two connected ways? God would glorify His Son at the cross. Jesus and John have been telling us in John's Gospel that His hour had not yet come. You see that, right? Throughout the gospel. His hour had not yet come. Jesus himself said, my hour has not yet come. John says again, his hour had not yet come. What what is this hour? 
Because Jesus says in John 17, the hour has come. What hour is that? He prays this right before he's arrested and put on trial and crucified. The Father would glorify the Son at the cross. William Hendrickson comments, this hour was the moment of crisis. It was the hour in which the Son of Man would terminate His labors by rendering the one and only atoning sacrifice for the sin of mankind. The hour of fulfilling prophecies and types and symbols. The hour of triumph over the prince of the darkness of the world. The hour of dismissing the old and ushering in the new dispensation. That hour had come. Beloved, this cross work glorifies the Son. This is where justice and mercy kiss. This is the climax of the demonstration of the love of God for you. Beloved, do you know God loves you? Are you you hoping in God's love this morning because of your circumstances? And so if things went well this week, you come in here feeling God loves me. I mean, everything went well. I got a new job. You know, I got a raise. I made A's in school. You know, I was up early, feeling great, came to church. Everything is wonderful. God loves me. But what if you had the exact opposite week? What if you got fired and you lost your job? The boss had a talk with you and said, you're not actually working that hard. I'm going to have to take some of that money away from you. What if you lost a child this week? And you come to church. Does God still love me? Beloved, these are the kinds of things you need to hear over and over again. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You you need to hear that God loves you. And that that is grounded and rooted in the solid rock of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it cannot change. It doesn't change based on what's happening in your life. It doesn't ba- it's not based on the, the good things that happen or the bad things that happen. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says God demonstrates His own love for you in this that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The Bible says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, the cross tells us that God loves us. We we must pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to know that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? God loves you, beloved. He sent His Son to die for you. He was thinking of you on the cross by name. By name. Not, not just a sea of humanity. Jesus did not pray for the world in this prayer. Did you notice that? He did not pray for the world. He prayed for you who would believe later on that we'll get to. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me, Paul said. Me, personal. Me, loved me and gave Himself for me. 
God loves you. Your circumstances can't change that. He loves you. And whatever sadnesses happen this week, someday they will become all untrue. As J.R.R. Tolkien shows us in his writing. Everything sad someday for the Christian will become untrue. How many of you are bearing sad memories in your life? They'll all become untrue someday because of Jesus and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. D.A. Carson comments, the very event by which the sun was being lifted up in horrible ignominy. I had to look that one up too. It means public shame and disgrace. Lifted up in horrible public shame and disgrace and shame that, that, that for which He would be praised around the world by men and women whose sins He had borne. The hideous profanity of Golgotha means nothing less than the Son's glorification. And so Jesus would be glorified by the Father on the cross. But secondly, Jesus was glorified when He rose from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with all power and all authority. Verse 5, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Remember, beloved, Jesus' greatest delight is to be in His Father's presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And He took on flesh. He humbled Himself. He became poor. He who was rich beyond all splendor became poor and took on flesh and was spit on and beaten and mocked and laughed at and ridiculed and treated like dirt and less than dirt and beat so badly that you could not tell He was a human being and hung up on a cross like a piece of meat to die and suffer. And He longed to be back in the presence of the Father with the glory that He had with the Father before the world existed. This was the joy. This, the joy of the Lord was His strength. Hebrews 12, 2, to go to the cross looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus wanted to be in the Father's presence again like it used to be before He came to earth. And so he prayed, glorify your son in this way. Beloved, may we desire again this kind of joy in God in prayer. You, you may think that that's impossible. Pastor, prayer is so boring. Pastor, I, I cannot pray more than two minutes. And I'm just bored out of my mind. It's just so boring. And uh, pray that God would do a work in your pastor and in us, that, that we, would, we would be uh, uh, mesmerized with our God and delight to be with Him. We, we can pray that the God who raises the dead can raise our dead hearts to learn to pray and commune with Him like we never have before. D.A. Carson writes, in this context, the primary meaning of to glorify is to clothe in splendor. The petition asks the Father to reverse the self-emptying entailed in His incarnation, to restore Him to the splendor that He shared with the Father before the world began. The cross and Jesus' ascension and exaltation are thus inseparable. Jesus prayed, glorify Me. Glorify Me. 
Beloved, I want you to notice this just so you have this in your back pocket if you come across modalists and Hebrew Israelites and those who deny the Trinity. Notice in in verse 5 that God the Son has always existed. God God the Son has always existed. Notice that in verse 5. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Church down the street on 5th Street, Geno Jennings, denies this. Modalists like T.D. Jakes, they deny this. It's a different God. It's not the same God. As I, as I said to the Sunday school class, the Roman Catholic God is not the same God we worship. A different God. A different Trinity. If you have questions about that, email me. I'll send you the article. Jesus has always existed as God the Son. They deny the, the, the eternal existence of the Son of God, the pre-existence of the Son of God. But here we see it taught in Scripture. Jesus prays to His Father to glorify Him with the glory that He had before the world existed. God the Son has always existed. And, 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 and as a bonus, just notice again, Jesus is praying to His Father. There are two persons, separate, distinct, co-equal, co-eternal, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And we see two of the persons praying here. Jesus is praying to the Father. Beloved, God doesn't share His glory with anyone. Isaiah 48, 11, I will not share my glory with another. And yet, what do we see in this text? Not only are the Father and the Son distinct, Jesus is God. <laughs> because God don't share His glory with another, and He is, Jesus is praying, glorify the Son. <laughs> Jesus is glorified and honored along with the Father. He prays for that. Jesus is God. John 5, 22-23, The Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Beloved, this is why Jews and Christians don't worship the same God. Do you, do you understand that? Jews and Christians do not worship the same God. If you don't get that, you don't get Trinitarian theology. Because they deny the Son. We have a Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life. This is the one true God before us in our text. And we should pray for Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus to repent and believe the gospel that they might be saved. That is love. That is love. Jesus prays that His Father would be glorified also. Not only that He would be glorified, but He prays that His Father would be glorified. Look at verse 1 and verses 4-5 through again. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. 
that the Son may glorify you. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension glorify the Father. Where else do we see God's justice put on display more than on the cross? Where He punishes every single sin of every single one who would ever repent and believe in Him. Perfectly. Extinguishing the fires of hell toward that person by punishing that sin. God puts His justice on display and this glorifies the Father. Where, where do we see uh, better display the love of God than on the cross? When the Father crushes His Son, Spurgeon said, it is as if the Father loved us more than He loved His own Son because He crushed Him in our place that we might never be crushed. For God so loved the world. Where, where more do you see God's power, God's wisdom, God's patience than on the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross the resurrection power when God raised Him from the dead and ascended Him to heaven and set Him down to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This glorifies the Father. And so Jesus prayed, glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. There, there's this desire in, in, in the Godhead to desire to, to glorify the, each of the persons of the Trinity. We read in this section as well the, the Spirit glorifying the Father and the Son in John 15 through 17. The Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. The Son glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies the Son. And beloved, it is true that Jesus glorified the Father. Verse 4. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He did it. He, he, he's the only one. So what is sin? Sin is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God. Jesus is the only one who never sinned and showed the worth of God to be what it is. That He's infinitely worthy. That, that's why we obey. Children, children, the main reason, if I ask you the main reason you obey your parents, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I mean, have you seen my mom's paddle? <laughs> my mom had a big old paddle. And she used it a lot, and I'm thankful. Because the Bible teaches parents that you should spank your children if you love them. If you don't, the Bible says you hate them. That's what the Bible says. I'm I, praise, I praise God for my mom. She, she did not hold back. Tan that hide. And drove that wickedness from my heart. That's what the Bible says it does. I lost my point. What was I talking about? Children! What is the main reason you obey your parents? Is it so you won't get spanked? Should that be the main reason? Is, is, it, is, it, is it because you love mommy and daddy? And so I love mommy and daddy, so I want to obey them. Is that the main reason? It's a good reason. They're both good reasons. <laughs> But is that the main reason you obey? What should the main reason you obey your, your parents be so that you won't sin and fall short of the glory of God? You, you want to you say with your lives, children, God is who and what is most valuable to me. God is more valuable to me. My mom says, don't eat before dinner. God is better than cookies. 
I want to display with my life that, God, you are more precious to me than cookies. My mom said, don't eat the cookies before dinner. God, you're better. Mom says, no more playing the, the, the video game. I want you to do this. God is better than video games. God is infinitely better than video games. I'm going to glorify him and show he is worthy. The main reason you should obey your parents is because you want to glorify God. You want to show that he is who and what is most valuable to worthy is the Lord. That's why we obey for the glory of God. Jesus did that perfectly. We've all failed. We've all failed to glorify God as we should. We've sinned. That's why we need Jesus. Friend, do you know you've sinned? Do, do you realize you've fallen short of the glory of God? Do, do you, children, do you realize that one, one lie to your parents, one, one time that your mom tells you to do something, and you do it but with a bad attitude, is a sin that deserves hell? True obedience, children, is when your mom asks you to do it, yes, ma'am, immediately, and you do it. Anything different is disobedience. Parents, are you training your children that way? Not just that they do it, but they do it immediately, and they do it joyfully. Parents, that's your goal. Anything less than that is disobedience. And you need to train them that way when they're babies. I was talking to my favorite parents. They got 10 kids, all of them grown up, walking with Jesus, love the Lord. And I remember being at the table, the dinner table. They always invited, even though they had 10 kids, they invited people over to lunch every Sunday after church. And uh, the little baby infant bit her brother or sister. And the mom took the baby's hand and bit the baby. Oh, no. Oh, that's so bad. No, that's how you do it. That's good parenting. She didn't bite the finger off. She didn't bite the child to cause blood, but she bit the child's hand so the child felt pain and started crying and never did it again. It takes one time. That's, she's my favorite parent, the Tans. Michael and Elizabeth Tan. He's a, 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 a PCA pastor in Norfolk, Virginia. Beautiful family, full of joy and love of the Lord. But they disciplined those babies when they were in diapers. Parents do it then. Because once it gets a little bit too old, it's too late. We've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken His commandments. We've all not lived for God's glory. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath. Children, those sins against your parents deserve God's wrath. My anger and losing my temper deserves God's wrath. Our sin deserves God's wrath in hell. But God loves sinners. He loves sinners. And so He sent His Son to die for sinners, to live a perfect life, who never sinned, never fell short of the glory of God. And He died on that cross and bore the wrath of God suffered the curse and hell that we deserve. Jesus took that upon Himself. And He was buried. But on the third day, He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Buddha's dead. Muhammad is dead. 
Confucius is dead. They're, they're all dead. Jesus is alive. He conquered sin, death, and hell. And He calls all people to turn from their sin and, and repent and believe on Him. Friend, if you're here and not a believer, you can't earn this. You can't earn this with your preaching. You can't earn this by being a good pastor. You can't earn this by being the, the, the perfect prison ministry couple team. You can't earn this by being a parent. Children, you can't earn this by being obedient to your parents. You, you can't earn God's forgiveness and love. You must receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ and by trusting in Him alone. Would you do that today? If you're here and not a believer, would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved? Because once you do that, God lives in you. His Spirit lives in you. And you begin to delight to do what God says. You, you begin to delight to glorify the Father. You, you, you begin to want to change. And God's Spirit works that change in you. And you will more and more want to pray. Like Jesus. Beloved, pray that God would do that in us. That more and more like Jesus, we would pray for the Father and the Son to be glorified. And that we would glorify God in our lives. Th this same prayer that gripped the Son should grip our prayers. Praying prayers for the Father and the Son to be glorified. What do you pray for when you pray? What do you pray for? what's the smell of your prayers? Does it, is, it, is it, Lord, is it always only temporal things? They're, they're good things. They're good things. But, but, but even in those, is it, is it a trajectory to glorify God? We're, we're praying for Malachi, right? To be born, to be born safely. Put, put, put God's glory on that. Lord, we pray that Malachi would be born safely and, and come into the world and be born again that he might be a mighty man of God and live for the glory of God and share the gospel. Move, move your prayers. Lord, heal my back. Heal my aching back. Not just so that I'm more comfortable so that I can get out and, 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 and serve the Lord and, and, and tell somebody about Jesus. Move, move your prayers toward the glory of God. Like Jesus. That's the end of life. That's the end of all we do. That, that should be the end of our actions and feelings and desires and prayers. Should all be for the glory of God our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Since Jesus loves you, beloved, so much and prays for you and is still praying for you, you should want to be like Jesus and deeply love His glory, deeply love the Father's glory, and deeply love God's elect, so pray. And finally, point number three, Jesus prays for His own. Jesus prays for His own. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Jesus has been given authority. Verses 1 and 2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh. God predestined His Son to come and die and rise again. And then on the basis of His finished work, He would give the Son all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus has all of this authority for what purpose? To save all the Father has given Him. Jesus has been given authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given Him. 
Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. To all whom you have given him. Beloved, this is the elect. You know, we just had an election, right? What is an election? You choose who you want to be your leaders. You choose. Elect, election. God has the ones he's chosen. God has ones He's chosen called the elect. And John speaks of of this all over the place. Four times in this very prayer, He talks about those whom the Father has given Him. Even before that, John 6, 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John 10, 27-29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. John 17, 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. John 17, 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. <laughs> Jesus makes the distinction even more pronounced. I'm not praying for the world. <laughs> but for those whom you have given me, this is why I'm a Calvinist. This is why I'm a Jesusist. Because Jesus taught this. And it's glorious. It's not to be argued over. It's to be move us to worship that you have been given to the Son. He chose you before the foundation of the world, but not based on anything you've done, but simply because He chose you, because He chose you, because He chose you. And He loves you because He chose to love you, because He chose to love you. Nothing in you. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. It's all over this prayer. Jesus prays about election. When Jesus goes into that deepest communion with the Father, He prays about election. There's another place where the Bible says that He was filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy. One of the rare places in the Gospels where it actually says that Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy, prays. And what does He pray about? I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to little babes. For such was your gracious will. When Jesus goes deep with the Father, He prays about election. Jesus speaks of God's elect. Matthew 24, 24 and 31. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaks about God's elect. Romans eight thirty three. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Jesus has been given authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given Him. Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ whom God sent. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
Notice that this God Jesus is praying to, His Father is the only true God. <laughs> remember, remember, I, I told you the Jews worship a different God than we do. Muslims worship a different God than we do. Buddhists worship a different God than we do. Everybody, Hindus, they, they worship all kinds of gods. This is the only true God. The only God who saves. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is praying to the only true God. And, and knowing Him is eternal life. Notice knowing Him and His Son. Jesus is God. Right? There you have the Father and the Son put, put, put in equality together. Knowing the Father, knowing the Son. That's eternal life. To know them is eternal life. As S.M. Lockridge would say, do you know him? <laughs> do you know my king? Oh, I wish I could just read it right now, but it would go too long. I'd break your record then. If you haven't heard S.M. Lockridge, that's my king. You need, you need to hear it. Just come to me afterwards and I'll give you a track. Do you know him? Do you know God? This is not just knowing facts or information about God. This is, uh, the devil knows information about God, right? The devils know God and tremble, James 2 says. This is knowing Him in the sense of trusting Him. Having a personal relationship with Him. Loving Him. Delighting in Him. Being born again from the Spirit. One, one brother in this church used to explain it like this. Do you know Michael Jackson? Oh yeah, I know Michael. I got his, I got his songs in my podcast, whatever. My, my, my iPod. I listen to his songs all the time. I've been to one of his concerts. I even shook his hand once. I know Michael. No, 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 no. You know him. Like you sit down with him. You, you have coffee with him. You got his number in your phone. Do you know him like family? Oh, no. I, I don't know him like that. Beloved, many people know God that first way. Oh, yeah, I grew up in church. I heard about God. Every once in a while, I read the Bible. Go to church on uh, Easter and Sunday, e Easter and Christmas. I know, I know about God. We're good. Awful, I'm hemming out tracks. That's what people say. One person yesterday, it was almost, uh, ma'am, good news about the Lord Jesus. I know Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't tell by the way you snapped at me. Uh, do we know him? Like, know him, know him. I remember I asked another girl that. And, and she was like, yes, I, I know Jesus. How did you know? And you, we started to talk about Him because that's what real Christians want to do. Do you know Him in a personal, saving way such that He's everything to you? Such that you can repeat Isaac and Heidi's wedding text, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that a desire besides you, such that you can, you can say this prayer and really mean it. You are silver. You are gold to me, O oh God. You are delight, your food, your clothing, your house, your land, your peace, your wisdom, your power, your beauty, your father and mother, your wife and husband, your mercy and love, grace, glory, and infinitely, you're more than all of those. You know Him that way. That's eternal life. Knowing Him that way is eternal life. 
Knowing, knowing him the way that Paul speaks in Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Eternal life is knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ whom God has sent. And we see here that Jesus manifested His Father's name to those whom the Father had given Him. Look at verse 6. I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to Me. What does this mean that Jesus manifested the Father's name? Well, remember Exodus 3? When, when Moses was before the burning bush and Moses asked God, what is your name? What is the name of you, God, that I can go tell the Israelites that, that this God is delivering them out of slavery in Egypt? And, and what did God say? What did Yahweh say from the bush? I am who I am. I am who I am. And then Jesus comes on the scene in John 8.58 and says to the Jews, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because they view him as a mere man. And if a mere man says, I'm the I am, I'm the great I am, I'm God, I'm Yahweh, that's blasphemy. And so he deserves to die. But guess what? He's not a mere man. He's truly man and truly God. They should have bowed down and worshipped him. He came to manifest the name of God. And I fulfill Isaiah 52, 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In this prayer, we see Jesus give characteristics of those who belong to Him. They keep God the Father's Word. Verse 6, and they have kept your Word. We as believers, we keep God's Word. We're not perfect. We fall short. We sin. But we hate it and we get back up and we fight. It's not about perfection, but direction, somebody said. And so we keep God's Word. That characterizes true believers. We keep God's Word. We desire to obey the Word of God. They know what Jesus teaches is from God, the Father, and that Jesus came from the Father and was sent by the Father. Verses 7 and 8. Now, they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Beloved, true believers in Jesus know that He's from God. Know that He was sent from God, that He came from God, that He's given us the words of God, that we can trust Him, that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever He says is truth and right. And Jesus prays for those who belong to Him, not for the world. I've touched on this a little bit. Let me just highlight it again. Verses 9 and 10. We're coming to the end. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Beloved, in the context of John 17, 1-10, Jesus is praying for His disciples who are with Him there on earth at that time. But we know from later in this prayer, He's praying for us too. This is amazing. Jesus was thinking about you right before He died. 
How do we know this? Because John 17, 20 through 21 tells us, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. Those who will believe. He's praying for us who will believe in the future. Through their word, through these disciples' words. That's amazing to think about that through these scared, terrified disciples, we would eventually get the word of Christ and believe the gospel. And he's praying for us that they would be one. Beloved, notice in this prayer, Jesus makes it very clear that you belong to the Father. You belong to the Father. He loves you. He owns you. As we learned last week, he heard last week from Brother Steve, he has adopted us into his everlasting family. Not only do you belong to the Father, you belong to the Son. The Son loves you. The Son shed his blood for you. The Son died for you. The Son, son died to redeem you and purchase you. And you are precious in God's sight. God sings over you. I love to quote Zephaniah 3.17 to you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Anybody do that for you lately? Anybody love you so much that they, they sing over you loudly? Oh, how I love Jay. Oh, how I love Jay. Oh, how I love Jay. I love Jay. Anybody in your life ever sung over you like that with loud shouts? God sings over you that way. God sings over you that way. Even as He sings over His own Son. Because you belong to Him. And He loves you. And beloved, Jesus is still praying for you. He's still praying for you. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Beloved, listen to these thoughts on the fact that Jesus still prays for you. This, this prayer in John 17 just gives you a little window of what Jesus said about you to the Father this morning. Since the ever-living Christ intercedes for believers, they can have great confidence that they will never perish. In fact, they can know that all things in their lives work together for good, for God the Father will answer the prayers of His Son. It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that He is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present in our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that He prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. How can these blessed realities but drive us close to the Savior, even to His chest, like the Apostle John? He is more committed to His sheep than His sheep are to Him. We lag and linger, but He is praying while we slumber. 
the truth of Jesus, ceaseless, fervent, impassionate, hardy, and successful intercession on my behalf calibrates my wayward heart afresh to the glories of Christ and drops fresh dew from heaven on my earthly scorched lips. And Robert Murray McShane, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Beloved, since Jesus so loved you, His own, how much ought we to love His own? How ought we to love each other in the church? And that deep love for one another will move us to pray for one another. Beloved, this is why we give out prayer directories. I think uh, Pastor Michael Osborne is working on a new one that will come out uh, in, in a month or so or a week or so. Uh, and it's a, it has every member listed. And, and I encourage you to use that such that it wears out. You can get it on your little phone too and pray for one another. To see how Jesus loves those whom the Father has given Him ought to move us to love them and pray for them. Pray for one another. Talk to one another after church today to find out how you can pray for one another. And finally, in verse 10, Jesus said, I am glorified in them. Beloved, Jesus is glorified in you as you live in Him and trust in Him and obey His Word, you glorify Him. Remember, you glorify what you value. We show what we value by the way we spend our time and the way we spend our money and, and what makes us happy. As I tell you sometimes, what cranks your tractor? What floats your boat? What moves you to say, Hallelujah! What, what moves your heart? That, that, that's what you glorify. Whatever that is, the way you spend your time, when you look at your checkbook and you look at where most of the money goes, that's what you glorify. What you focus on, what you give your attention to, what you think about most, what just goes through your mind when, when you don't have anything to think about, that's what you glorify. We glorify God as Christians. So pray. Pray. Since Jesus loves you so much and prays for you, you should want to be like Jesus and deeply love His glory and deeply love the Father's glory and deeply love God's elect. So pray. Beloved, remember one of those points I made about how great it is that, that, that uh, Jesus prays for us? The line was, for God the Father will answer the prayers of His Son. Well, there was a time when God the Father did not answer every part of a prayer that Jesus prayed. Matthew 26, 39, going a little further, He fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Beloved, Jesus died and rose again to glorify His Father. Jesus died and rose again to be glorified Himself. Jesus died and rose again because He loves you and He chose you to be His and to save you forever. And Jesus died and rose again so that you might have access to God in prayer 
and enjoy Him and delight in Him and be satisfied in Him and commune with Him in prayer. And He's still praying for you now. Christ Jesus is the Son to be glorified. The hour has come, Christ crucified, glorifying His Father's love magnified. In love He prays for His own, God supplied by the Father to Him, His very own bride. These are those given for whom He has died, then rose from the dead, now death's dead, defied. To know Him and His Father is life you can't hide. Life everlasting in Him to abide, keeping His word for the spirits inside their hearts that do yearn to obey, He'll provide. They know Jesus came, sent from the Father's side, and in their pure lives, the triune God's glorified, for Christ is their all, and their joy, and their pride. Beloved, since Jesus loves you so much, and prays for you, and is still praying for you, you should want to be like Jesus, and deeply love His glory, and deeply love the Father's glory, and deeply love God's elect. So pray. Father, we ask that You would work in our hearts as we meditate upon John 17. Today and in the coming weeks, we pray, Lord, You would teach us to pray that we would truly commune with You and delight in You even as the Son delighted to spend time in Your presence. We pray that we would grow in that discipline and practice. Father, we pray that we would have biblical prayers that focus on glorifying the Father and the Son by the power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would, we would pray for uh, those the Father has given the Son, that we would pray for one another, God's elect, that we would pray through the membership directory and that you would knit our hearts together. And so teach us to pray, Lord, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.